I particularly love this gospel reading, um, especially as it kind of, um, to me anyhow, highlights what is a bit of a false god in our society. Uh, in, in the absence of the church, in the absence of anything particularly transcendent uh, that our society recognizes, uh, what we tend to look to or exalt or hold up as, as, as an ideal is family. Uh, and we, we even see this in certain you know, Christian, Christian ministries are the very, very uh, uh, nobly uh, inspired, I suppose, a, a, a Christian focus on the family. Uh, but family is a bit of a mixed bag, as we see in the genealogy of Christ, as it's related to us here in, in the Gospel of Matthew. It's always been a mixed bag. I mean, on the one hand, family is this amazing uh, natural institution uh, by which we are brought into this world and raised up and, and generally become, it's the, it's the primary force shaping who we are. But on the other hand, family is made up of these fallen, fallible individuals with a mother and a father who are brand new at this, never done this before, and uh, are liable to make mistakes and, uh, and, and do nasty things. Because when we are in a stressful situation, which we often are in the context of a family, what do we do? We usually take that stress out on the people who are close by and available, and who are closest to us. So we have like the least inhibitions in terms of how we interact with them. And so uh, not only do we get, uh, you know, real manifestations of human love and self-sacrifice in the context of the family, we also get all sorts of nastiness and horrible uh, uh, human beings being horrible to one another uh, and, and just basic messes that we see in the genealogy of Christ. The, um, I haven't done this particular family Christmas tradition for a while, but we did, we did recently watch uh, A Christmas Carol. Uh, the, the classic Alistair Sims version, the best one, of course, uh, um, uh, which is quite faithful to, uh, to Dickens, uh, Charles Dickens' original Christmas Carol. And I must admit, there's a, there's a kind of special place in my heart for this particular uh, um, story because uh, it's, it was my one great dramatic moment. Uh, in grade seven, I starred in our school's Christmas play, A Christmas Carol, uh, uh, as Ebenezer Scrooge, and so I, I went I went around for you know a good few weeks before the before the play, just saying "bah humbugged everyone," just to sort of be in character, uh, and uh, uh, and um, uh, so we uh, we watched it again uh, as a family, and and one of the things that kind of leaped out to me uh, leaped out at me this time. Uh, which I, I, I somehow hadn't really latched onto before, was, was 
because maybe I think probably because you know our focus generally is on on, on Tiny Tim because he's 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 a beautiful young child who who has this this amazing innocence and purity and he's dying and it's and it and and so that kind of gets our focus. But what I, what I noticed this time was uh, that I hadn't really that hadn't really struck me before was the relationship between Scrooge and his nephew. His nephew comes in and, and wishes, wishes him a, a, a Merry Christmas and Scrooge is his usual bah humbug self uh, and, and uh, it says, let me keep Christmas in my own way. And of course, his nephew says, but, but uncle, you don't keep it. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, and, and he extends to him this invitation to come to his, uh, uh, his family Christmas party. Uh, and... Um, and Scrooge at that point alludes to something that, I, as I say, it kind of it kind of escaped my notice uh, uh, pro, uh, in in earlier viewings uh, and even readings of the story uh, was that that his nephew had married against his wishes, had made a most unfortunate match, at least in terms of finances, which of course finances was everything to Scrooge, right? Uh, uh, and 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 so and this was why he had cut off all relationship really with his with his nephew uh, and uh, and then of course over the, the the ghosts of Christmas past and present and future visit Scrooge and he's he, he comes out a transformed man and and the last bit of the movie has him showing up kind of awkwardly at his nephew's Christmas party to which he has been invited uh, and 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 asking forgiveness of his nephew's wife. Um, I mentioned this because, again, uh, while, while, we, while we have this, this sort of ideal picture of family, especially as, you know, as it's supposed to happen at Christmas, everybody's are sitting, seated around the great turkey carving things and having a great time and being, being happy and, and, and loving towards one another. Uh, one of the great Christmas classics of our Society actually calls out this, this the, the the reality of family, which is often not as beautiful and ideal as we are trying to raise it up to be, and I think it's important that we recognize this flawed reality uh, for a number of reasons, but one of which is simply. It, it often gets in the way, like it's, it's in the background, but we're not allowed to foreground it. You know, even in the midst of, you know, the awkward negotiations of whose house do we celebrate Christmas at this year and who gets invited and, oh man, I'm going to have, who's going to have to sit next to whom and I haven't talked to that person for a while because I don't really like them and they did this to that person and, and so on. You know, that's all there. But we're not really allowed to acknowledge it. And so we have, there's this sort of delicate dance where we're not really talking about it, but we're sort of talking about it. And, and it's really awkward and hard on people to do this. And then I'm not saying that we should just all be in one another's face. And it's just like, you did this. And, but, but there is some, a place for um, acknowledging it, possibly even doing something about it and being reconciled. Um, and the um, and, and just for acknowledging our basic fallen human condition, 
And as, we're, as we kind of look through the genealogy, we see, you know, this same thing. Who's in there? Jacob, the trickster, who had this horrible relationship with his brother Esau. David, who, you know, Bathsheba isn't actually even named, but she's there. And if you look at the family of David, there was all this horrible infighting uh, where, where, you know, even like outright rebellion involving the nation in war uh, because of David's actions with Bathsheba. It's his faithlessness uh, and his abuse of power. Uh, Ahaz, uh, he was one of the, in, in sort of militaristic and political terms, he was a, one of the greater of the, of the Israelite kings. But in terms of, of fidelity to God, not so much. He was, he was a pretty uh, lousy, horrible king of Israel, so much so that when Isaiah comes to, it comes to Ahaz and, and, and says, you should ask for a sign, ask God for a sign, Ahaz was like, nope, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. Refuse to ask, refuses to ask God for a sign. And so Isaiah gives him a sign anyway. And the sign is what is quoted at the end of this gospel reading. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and conceive. And by the time the child is old enough, uh, is a certain age, I can't remember exactly which, which age, uh, then the, the lands of the kings whom you are fearing will be devastated. Uh, but the, uh, which, which, which is then taken up uh, by Matthew and said, look, there's this, there's this greater fulfillment <coughs> here in this, what is sometimes called the Holy Family. Although, again, we look at the Holy Family and we look at it and see there was problems there. You know, Joseph was realized his wife is, is betrothed, Mary is with child, and he does what any righteous man of that day would do. He's going to divorce her, break off the betrothal. And, uh, you know, because he's a righteous man, he's going to do it relatively quietly. But it takes an angel of God coming to him to say, look, this is a special case. This the the, uh, the the your Mary or your your betrothed is with child by the Holy Spirit, and the child to be born of her will be the Savior, the Christ, the promised one. Uh, so take take her to you, and that gets at the heart of God's resolution of the mess. That is human family. Because what does God do with this glorious mess of a genealogy? He enters into it. He takes it on as his own. He embraces it in all of its imperfection. He identifies himself with all of these ancestors, however horribly messed up they were, however messed up they were to one another, he says, these are going to be my people. 
this is the heritage that I am choosing as an incarnate human being. Because that's what God does. That's what God has been doing. If people were paying attention throughout the Old Testament, he works good through all of these evil things, in all of these evils. Out of the rivalry of Jacob and Esau, he, he illustrates the, uh, the um, divine sovereignty in terms of election and he reconciles them at the end of their lives to one another. You know, out of the mess that is David and Bathsheba comes Solomon, the greatest of all of the Israelite kings, the wisest man, presumably wisest before Christ came, uh, 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 who, who ever lived, who gives us this uh, amazing, beautiful, and kind of heart-rending book, Ecclesiastes, one of my favorites. Um, uh, and, and uh, um, you know, out of Ahaz comes this amazing prophecy, this prediction of God's ultimate deliverance of his people through the virgin who conceives and bears a son. This is what he's always been doing. And yet now he is doing it in the most human way possible. As human beings, we tend to not want to associate ourselves with, you know, too closely with, well, basically all the other horrible human beings. Uh, there, there are people who would rather not be called Christians because of all the nasty things that Christians have done throughout the years, throughout the centuries. But this was not our Lord's approach. Knowing better than any human being just how messed up all of these people were, his response was to come and to, become, to enter into that genealogy, to become one of us and one with us. So that by so doing, he could manifest to us in the most immediate human way possible, his love for us, his acceptance of us, his willingness to forgive and to be reconciled with us. And so this humble act, this act of extreme divine condescension becomes for us our model of humility, what we are to do and how we are to respond to all of the messed upness that is human family, that is us. Our response needs to be to enter in, to embrace, to forgive, to love. And as we do that, we are becoming children of the Most High God. We are entering into the new reality that Christ came and was born to inaugurate. A reality of forgiveness. A reality of understanding. A reality of radical identification with the other. A reality of love, divine love, that is 
the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages.